Sound design. So our wages haven't really gone up in 10, 15 years in some cases, and there are less shows. You know, when you think about, you know, the future of the music industry, is that there's a big question mark over it. It's like, how, how is this, how are the economics really going to work? Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> okay, so, uh, what are you doing in Minneapolis? Well, first of all, it's nice to be back. It's funny because obviously we speak on uh, we speak uh, reg well not regularly, but we speak. Uh, it's a, true. I saw a, you a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, being in Minneapolis and seeing you like what tw uh, twice in the space of about six months. You're so lucky. I am so lucky. I'm like, I feel like the luckiest <laughs> man alive. Yeah. Um, it's good. Um, so yeah, um, Erasure tonight um, at the State Theatre. So for people who don't know, why does my wife love Erasure so much? Uh, you'll have to ask her that. Uh, but <laughs> okay, so they're a British band. They've been around yeah. since you've been like working with them eight, for. Eight, like they, they, they started in '85, so I was like four when they when they were when they were starting out. So it's one of those things where, um, and I, for, for some reason in my career, this has kind of happened where I've ended up like the tunes that I would listen to on the radio, in the car on the way to school. Um, you know, with bands like Erasure, UB40, Billy Ocean, Underworld, when I got a little bit older, but you know, as a, as a kid driving to school, they're on the radio all the time. And I've ended up somehow working with a lot, with, with a lot of these, you <laughs> that's know. That's not, that's more than a coincidence. You've created that somehow. <laughs> may, may, maybe I have, maybe I have, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things. So I'm, I, I distinctly, rem vividly remember like on that, on, on the drive to school and like, you know, uh, a little respect would come on the radio and you know it's uh, so yeah so when I get the you know I got the got the phone call to come and come and work with them and from th their tour manager from their tour manager yeah who I've worked with for um, oh I think I first worked with him about 15 years ago with um, with a band called Goldie Looking Chain okay like I've eight, heard about them eight well we about them yeah yeah we have was that your first tour um, no it wasn't my first tour but it was right. I suppose it was it was the first tour that I did with um, a band that started doing main stages everywhere. Okay. So I think like, and it literally, I went from, um, you know, doing uh, gigs, uh, small gigs all over the UK uh, in the back of a car, mm -hmm. driving from gig to gig uh, with a few different bands. And then I got the phone call to do that. And then um, it literally went from, doing these small gigs to doing like, you know, main stage at Reading and Leeds Festival, Glastonbury and, you know, all those big festivals in, in the UK. So it was quite weird, within a year, you know. From, I remember from the first time we did an interview a few years ago, I think you had met that person because of the house gig that you had or something, right? Uh, well, actually, that tour manager? Well, yeah, kind of, well, kind of. That was basically, um, so... Um, the house gig that I had at the time, the band, there was a few bands from Southend that started to, you know, get signed and go on the road. And it was one of those bands that said, can you come and, 
can you come and do the sound for us? I said, yeah, okay, cool. So went and did that. And that's where I met the guy uh, on that on that very first that, tour that okay. I did. That's where I met him to go off to starting to go and do all these goldy looking chain shows. Uh, so who is who is Erasure? What's the lineup? So Erasure is Vince Clark and Andy Bell. So Vince is the music man and Andy Bell is the singer and lyricist. And I suppose best defined as kind of synth pop. I mean, actually, um, Vince Clark himself is, is actually, for anybody who's in, into synthesizing music, he is a bit of a legend. Sure. Um, you know, he started, uh, he started Depeche Mode, you know, back in the, back in the day. Hilariously enough, we used to live around the corner from each other when I was going, when I was driving, really? when I was driving to school. <laughs> yeah, they all lived, yeah, sure. they, they all lived in, uh, they all lived in South End at, the, at kind of the same time, which is kind of a bit weird. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so, you know, like, love a full circle, and that's sure. kind of. <laughs> I'm sure when they met you they, for the first time, there was some connection, you know, um, mentally. They're like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's it's funny actually because um, uh, you know there's a there's a definite kind of sense of humour from that part of the country that we all tend to share. So uh, yeah, very dry sense of humour. Um, that you know sometimes you know you're being very satirical, but the look on your face. That looks like you're being quite serious, okay. um, sure. and uh, yeah, can can be very off-putting to dry wit to, to most people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so he um, yeah, so we share that commonality. <laughs> so sometimes after after the gig, he was like, "So how was the guitar tonight?" You're like, "That was it was all right." He said, "Well, I was pl well, I was playing badly." So I see if you'd notice. So it's all right, man. I don't even turn it on. <laughs> you know, so it's that that kind of uh, <laughs> that kind of rapport. That we have together. Um, so tell me about the inputs from the stage. We're running kick, snare, hat, uh, bass. We have um, a stereo pair of track channels, stereo pair of BV channels. I, I've created these extra lines called specials, which are you know various different pops and clicks, and maybe some solos and things like that, which come down those lines. Um, so I have a bit more control over where they sit in the room. Click track and three vocals and a spare vocal. And who is operating the playback? Uh, that would be a chap called Howard. Okay. So he takes care of all the all the, all the playback. And so that's all coming from the stage. All coming from the stage. Oh yeah, and we run uh, MIDI timecode and SMPTE as well down this audio lines. Okay, so he hits play, yeah. and the playback sends you timecode. Yep. And what does that do for you? It basically just runs through my scene. So I'm doing... Okay, triggers the scenes for you. Triggers the scenes for me, yeah. So I've got... I, I must have about 500 different scenes in, in the desk. Um, so one of the things that I really wanted to try and do was recreate some of those effects that they had on on these big hits. Oh, you, have, you have to have the perfect timing. Yeah, have, okay. the per have the perfect timing for them. So, and also the other thing is that sometimes you're, um, you know, you want to fade up a delay and fade it down. Sometimes you just need to hit a word and you've got to sort of turn that auxiliary on, bang on time. And, you know, if you're trying to mix it, if you're trying to mix the show, you're not always going to be on the right layer, the right time. And in a way, like running the, running the time cut, I mean, it took me maybe, um, two weeks to kind of start getting it into shape and then over um, so I recorded the whole show with all the time code onto um, my laptop and then would spend a couple of hours every day during the UK tour um, just refining 
bits and pieces, you know, because as everybody got used to the timing of the new set and things like that, they would maybe start adding some little vocal bits and pieces here, here and there. Um, and so, you know, I was just me learning, you know, learning the show over and over and over again and refining those, those little bits of time code to trigger at the right, you know, just at the right time. What that's given me the ability to do is rather than thinking about, oh, I've got to make sure that that effect is hit at that time, I can think about sonically what, how it's sitting in the room. And, you know, especially in sort of theatres like this where, you know, I'm stuck right at the very back of the room. We're at the State Theatre. We're at the State Theatre tonight. Yeah, so I'm, and actually this happens quite a lot of theatres where, you know, mixed position isn't optimal. Okay. It's, you You're know, under a balcony? Under a balcony, okay. yeah, or maybe under even two balconies okay. in, some, <laughs> in some places. Or you're like right at the very top of the room, lots of rake seats. So most of the places we're doing are all seated. So, you know, the optimum mixed position would be the expensive seats. Uh, so, um, so they obviously don't like doing that. Mm -hmm. So we get shoved at the very back. So what it means is I can take my little late controller pad and start walking walking around the room, knowing that you know the, that delay is going to be hit at the right time and not have to not have to worry too much about it. Okay, so you feel pretty confident that what you're hearing in your position is similar to everyone else. Yeah, well, actually, in a way, it means that um, I don't have to s stay at my position. Oh, to do the system tuning or to do the mixing? A little bit of both. Okay. I mean, obviously, I have to go back and, and, and tweak a few bits and pieces, but it means that I, it gives me the freedom to walk around the venue, and I can even even get up into the balcony and think, oh, okay, well, you know, we might need a little bit more high-end in these top boxes, and so I've got the control just to, just, oh, just cool. to so do that. It, so because I'm, of the so, time code, can you step away then? From yeah. The okay, got yeah, it, yeah, got yeah. it, got it. Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be away too long. <laughs> you know, going go, go to the bar or going to get a cup of tea. Yeah, so I'm just nipping out for a smoke. Yeah, no, none of that. But it means that I can actually walk the venue like I've never walked the venue before. Wow. Obviously, I do that when it's empty and I've got my Pink Floyd playing or Michael Jackson or whatever I want to listen to that day. And I can walk the venue and go, okay, well, this is how I need it to be set up for for the show but then obviously as you know you get people in there and it doesn't always necessarily change massively but there are changes so it gives me the ability to like get up into the balcony where I wouldn't have a chance to do that if I didn't have this in place sure so yeah. I can try and make sure that at least the majority of the audience are having a having a, a good experience And we should point out that this is important because you're kind of a one-man production team, right? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. you and a stage tech and that's it. That's it, yeah. So if, someone, if anyone's responsible for what's, what everyone's hearing, it's you. <laughs> to yeah, totally me, yeah. It's all on, 100%. It's all on my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's a big responsibility. And actually one of the things that was really important from the word go is that, you know, making sure that Andy's vocal is heard by everybody. And it's not, it's not just a case of making sure the vocal's really loud. You've got to, you've got to mix it in with the music. Sure. But it's everything else it's, too. It is everything else too. But, you know, there are certain places in some venues where, you know, the sound isn't covered particularly well. So we've got this whole, we've got this um, package that's 
subs and um, and fills. And so I've got... That you're the, carrying with you. That I'm carrying with me, yeah. So I have the ability to stick some delays behind if I need to or okay. in little nooks and crannies where the, the sound isn't getting to properly. Okay, so you're just bringing things to add in to... in addition to whatever's already installed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so to run time code and, and all these scenes, you must have your own console. So tell me about your console and what other things you're carrying with you. One of the premises for me carrying my own desk was that we had to get it in South America. That's a hard so, place to get desks? It, it, well, it's, it's, it's a hard place to get new desks. You know, as you're kind of looking at it, you're like, right, okay, well, what can, you know, I mean, I, I'm personally a big fan of the profile. I have been, you know, ever since it came out, and you can get it, and, and you can get it everywhere in the world. I decided that that was probably the best thing, best thing to do. Just go back to the profile. I mean, I know they're old and they're getting a bit worn, and I know people would say, "Oh, yeah, but you know, it's only 48k," and all the all the other excuses that people have. But it's a playback show, and it's only running at 48k anyway. So, do you know how many years old the profile is now? I mean, 2005 rings a bell, but maybe 2005 was the D show. Well, so maybe you're thinking, hey, if it's ten, if it's ten years old, we should be able to get it in South America. Exactly. So, Wait, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, you said South Africa or South South America? America okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a workhorse. I mean, I mean, they've been on every single festival for a long time now, and uh, you know, I think they're just kind of coming into their like their their retirement, their twilight years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it does what it does exactly what I need it to do. And I've got Waves plugins on it. Not that, I, not that I like having loads of plugins. I kind of like to try and keep things far more simple. Um, I was wondering about that since you were talking about trying to recreate specific moments yeah. of effects in the yeah, album. Yeah. Is that where the effects came in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The very, plugins. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, because with the with the profile, there's no all the onboard effects are plugins. So right. you have to load up your. Can you give me an example of, of something specific you wanted to recreate and what plugin you had to use? Do you remember? Um, okay, so uh, who needs love like that? In in that song, the backing vocals they, they hit the word that at one point towards the end, and Vince wanted the delay to go that 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 that, you know, just and then you know just fall out just before they start singing again. Um, I recreated that with the Waves H delay. Okay. And that worked quite well because it's a bit more analogy sounding than um, than some of the other digital delays. Um, so so that worked quite well. Um, and then there's other things like Ola Moore. It's kind of a big big reverb. But the problem with putting big reverbs into big rooms is that it ends up being twice as big. <laughs> twice as twice as big. So. Um, so one of the things that is quite helpful is using the um, pre-delay. So rather than having a short pre-delay, you know, getting it up to somewhere between uh, 70 and, and 100 milliseconds. Oh, wow. okay. So you give the vocal time to um, actually form the words mm -hmm. and then you have the extension. Okay. So it's, it's much more clearer. But then also as an addition to that, um, running the running running a delay, but rather than sending it straight to your left and right bus, you just run it back through the the reverb. You can create a, a bigger delay with some more repeats that aren't swamping what the vocal's doing. Okay, yeah, more complex, and and it's not an exact copy anymore. Yeah, nice. And so you found that pretty, each delay did that pretty well. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to use um, uh, what's it, the Waves True Verb, I think it was, okay. uh, as well, to for my for my reverby sounds. Um, yeah, but you know they're, they're quite they're quite versatile. I think uh, on the on the vocals, I've got I've got a C six on all the vocals, which is a multi band compressor. That's cool. Yeah, so um, so that works that works quite nicely just to keep everything in the box and, and, mm -hmm. and nicely contained. I've got Andy's vocal and his spare vocal. Um, and they both run through a group rather than individually. Okay. And the reason for that is that I can put the same EQ, the same compressor and everything else oh, nice. on that on that vocal chain. Mm -hmm. And so if we need to switch to the spare, I can literally just turn the spare on okay. and it's it, it's going through it's going through exactly the same process as the main vocal. Nice. So um, yeah, so that there shouldn't be any any difference. What is the Biggest show you're doing on this tour? I mean, obviously, like here tonight, this is what a 2,000 cap venue, something like that, around there. Um, so we do hit, we do one night here, and then uh, I mean, we've just done two nights at the um, Chicago Theatre, okay. um, which was I think three and a half thousand. Okay. So we did two nights there. Uh, we did three nights in New York at the, about the same capacity, uh, and then we're doing um, I think it's in Kansas, which I think is about seven or 8,000. Oh, wow. So, okay. so the reason that I ask is to make it even more uh, interesting that for people to know that you're mixing monitors from front house. I am mixing monitors from front house. <laughs> so there yeah. must be, uh, besides the four microphones for the show, there must yeah. be another microphone for them to communicate with you? Uh, yeah, so I've, yeah, so I've got, uh, well, they're actually, they're, I mean, we've got the monitors in a, like pretty much in the bag now. I mean, there's very little changes that we have to make every single day, which obviously is quite nice. I mean, I'll go and see them after the show and, and say, do we need any, any tweaks? And it might be, oh, Andy was a little bit loud tonight. Can can we turn him down? Or can we turn him up a little bit? And it's, and it's literally just like a DB up or down here and there. But other than that, it's pretty much set. Okay. Um, and they're all on in-ears? They're all on in-ears, yeah. Um, so we have our Batline tech, Howard, who's constantly looking at what's going on on the stage. So if there are any problems, we've got to shout straight to, um, straight to me. So Howard and I communicate via, via a shout system. And also my audio tech's got a speaker as, and part of that shout system as well. So if there's any problems with the RF, he can... Um, he can let me know as well. So, yeah, I mean, commu obviously, communication's like key, really, to, to doing any any show. I just remembered you said you were uh, bringing in extra subs. Do you use those every time? Yeah. And how's that been going? You know, it can be tough to make subs from different manufacturers work together sometimes you know what on the on the uk tour we had the new um the new dmb b2s okay. i fell in love with them i thought that you know they were they they were great i mean i mean i'm a massive fan of the uh, function one um uh, uh 221s like two twin 21 inch speakers <laughs> i mean there's, there's oh mate they're they're amazing but the thing about those but those function one subs are that they go down to something like 25 hertz but go all the way up to about 120. okay so um all that punch all that kind of 80 hertz 90 hertz that you that you need in your kick drum in your chest isn't at a crossover point it's with it's 
contained within that speaker. So you're running them all the way up to 125. Yeah, you can. Okay. B2s don't do don't don't do the same thing, but a bit smaller, yeah. a, a bit a lot deeper too. They just I don't know. They just they seem really musical. You know, they've got a nice extension on in in the sub. I mean, I spend a lot of time EQing the subs for the rooms. Yeah, so I was wondering about that process. Do you kind of listen to your B2s solo and then listen to the house subs solo and then like hear how they sound together? Well, I mean, more often than not, we just don't use the house subs. Oh, okay, you only, okay, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, sometimes, depending on the venue, um, you know, we, we, we might not be able to get our subs in. Um, so we have to use, just because of where seats are and, and everything else, we can't get our subs in. More often than not, though, we just slap the house subs off and we just use ours. That's interesting. Was that a specific choice? You were like, do, is there space in the truck? What is there space in the truck for? And they're like, no, not enough for all the speakers. Well, okay, how about subs? Well, basically, like the, this actually came from the tour manager. So the tour manager's their old sound guy. Okay. So, you know, he was, he was doing sound for them back in the 80s and he's wow. just stayed with them ever since. We knew that this tour, we wouldn't be carrying a full PA system just because of the nature of the, of the theatres that we're in. But one of the biggest problems with theatres in the US is that they lack bottom end. Okay. You know, they're set up for theatre shows. You know, I mean, I was doing UB40 and a very similar circuit and they're, they're all about the, uh, uh, you know, sub, like reggae um, in these, uh, these theatres. You know, a lot of systems couldn't, couldn't recreate, you know, that reggae sub. Okay. I suppose hilariously, like, you know, when the sub that we're talking about isn't really reggae sub because they didn't really have subs like that in the 70s. Hmm. But anyway, you know, <laughs> that's just another thing. So, yeah, so it was really, uh, the, the conversation was really about, um, okay, well, we need to try and recreate our erasure show in these venues. We've got to use the house stacks, but, you know, what else should we bring in to complement it. You haven't got loads of truck space, but you know, what can, what can we do? So um, I put together a, um, actually it was me and my uh, tech from the UK, we put together like a, a, a list of uh, equipment. So, you know, we brought eight, we've got eight subs um, and then we've got what uh, another eight fills. Why, I think they're wires, yeah. DMBY systems, so uh, boxes. Yeah, so it gives us the, the ability to like do either lip fills or side fills or outfills and you know just a few things like that. And you know maybe there's going to be a couple of places behind where I am or whatever that aren't quite getting the sound. So we can put some speakers on sticks at the back there and and, and project it. So yes, yeah, so it's all about trying to get you know a, a good spread across the audience of uh, of, the, of the sound i'm curious about the economics of touring do you ever rent out your house while you're not there <laughs> no, my, no well okay. well i say my son lives with me he lives he lives in my house okay um, <laughs> okay so he's there now with he's your mom. there yeah okay, yeah yeah cool. yeah, yeah. Cool. I, well it's not my mom. the house occupied yeah yeah the house is occupied yeah okay. with with fish and cats and children and grandparents um so so yeah so we try and kind of keep him in the same environment as much as we can let's be fair it's it's been it's been really tricky the last couple of years since he since he came to live with me but i have to go to work i have to earn them have to earn the pennies to pay the bills so uh, i mean I suppose the other thing is is i'm trying to work out you know how to make how to make money when i'm not on the road Mm -hmm. You know, hence why I started up my clothing brand. Yep. You know? tell me, okay, tell me about your hat. <laughs> so, oh yes, I'm wearing one of my hats, aren't I? Yeah, covering up my bald spot. 
clothing brand. So wh where was the motivation for this? Um, I've you, always wanted to make hats. No, actually, you know what it was? Um, after I wrote my, my book, I got asked to do some keynote speaking and some seminars, all sorts of different things that you do when, you know, people think you might know what you're talking about. Sure. And, and obviously then you re then, <laughs> then they realise you don't and stop oh, no. looking at you. What, what have I done? No, he's just an idiot. Just a buffoon telling jokes on stage. I was at pl uh, Plaza in Leeds uh, in the UK and um, I was asked to do some, I can't remember who it was for now, it was a while, quite a while ago, but I was, uh, so I, 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 had a, I had a lecture, I did, I think it was about 45 minutes uh, space I did. So I did this art of mixing a show lecture that I do, which is all about sort of mixing and creativity. Um, and, think, and, and rather than trying to t think about your mix technically, you're thinking about it creatively and, and how pieces fit together and stuff like that um, and then the the usual does anybody have any questions uh, nobody puts their hand up and you go okay well thank you very much for coming and uh, buy my book uh, exit via the gift shop that sort of thing so I, I uh, exit the stage and I start walking around the exhibition and looking at all the new bits of kit that are coming out and funnily enough I end up at the bar can you believe that <laughs> um, and and as I'm there um, a load of guys that were at the um at my uh, seminar uh, came over and said oh i've got a question you could have bloody asked that you know when i was when i was up there sure. there was something really really obscure the internal refraction of a speaker cone okay or something like that very i mean these were sound students so they weren't you know they're not you know, obviously they're learning about sound. It's probably something that they've they've heard in class or something like that, and they wanted to try and get some get some clarity on it. But I mean, like how a speaker cone works is relatively simple, but the kind of physics behind how it works is maybe a little bit more complicated. So when you think about wave fronts being formed as they're coming out of the speaker, so this is what we start talking about. Okay. And one bit by bit, you just see their kind of eyes glaze over. Okay. Uh, but they're all nodding and grinning and says, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. Sure. But I have no idea what you're saying. You know, these, <laughs> I've, I might have heard these words before, but, you know, in this sentence it makes no sense. Um, and it was a, kind of that moment I thought, this would make a great T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Explaining this or so, what? No, well, in a, in a way, it was, for me, it was a little bit like um, the, uh, well, it's like those Star Trek T-shirts. You know, you might see a guy walking down the road with Klingon written on the front of his shirt. And there might be one in 4,000 people that like look at it and uh, it's some kind you of- You know people who are in your tribe. Yeah, that sort of thing. That um, guy's like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, so the guy would walk on and he'd read it and he, cause, cause he's a geek, he can read Klingon. And you know, it's some kind of funny Klingon joke or something. And go, ah, oh, that's very funny. Yeah, cool. You know, so you know, you're all part of the same thing. So that was, that was the element of, of where where it started. And then as I kind of sat down and, and, and thought about it some more, I kind of got excited about the idea. And it, it ended up becoming kind of a celebration of music technology. And the way that I kind of see it is that, you know, without the technology, we wouldn't have the music. Mm -hmm. You know, we wouldn't have, you know, imagine a world without the guitar, you know, no Hendrix, no Townsend, you know, it's not a world worth living in, negative, <laughs> is it, frankly? Uh, so. Um, no arenas, no arena rock. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. Um, so it was, it was that, it was, it's that kind of celebration of music technology because music and fashion have always gone hand in hand. So I just wanted to try and do something just a little bit different. So 
as I kind of went through designs and, and a few other bits and pieces, in a way, it's a, it's a streetwear brand for geeks. Okay. The first T-shirt I ever, ever did was of Edison's phonograph. Okay. So it's a patent drawing of oh. Edison's phonograph. So it's the first machine that would play and record sound at the same time. We did another one where, uh, you know, you see like people walking around with, with dates on their, like a year on their t-shirt, like 1978 or whatever. Obviously it means something to that brand that, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, and so I ended up doing 343.2. 343.2. What is it? Which is the speed of sound in meters per second okay. at, 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 at 20 degrees, at, at whatever an average humidity is. Um, nice. You know, I mean, obviously, we all know the speed of sound isn't constant. It would just it just looked cool on a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. I've had quite a few people say, what's that? Mm -hmm. What's the speed of sound? Let me tell well, you. of course it is. Sure. <laughs> you know. Of course. Um, and sometimes it's, it strikes kind of quite interesting, interesting debates, really. Right. Well, I say debates, really, it's more of a monologue from me. Um, but, you, you know, it, spark, it, spark, it sparks conversation. Yeah. It encompasses everything that I'm about. You know, I love music, um, I love technology, and I, I love teaching. And so, you know, these kind of prints are all kind of, in a way, can be conversation starters. Sure. You know, there's things like, you know, we did, I've uh, done some prints like the 8-track. Now, the 8-track is a really interesting piece of, piece of tech because the 8-track was, was made, well, originally for, for studios. It was the record company started giving it to the radio stations. They would get studio quality recording going, going out on the radio. Okay. And then um, in the 19, I think it was the 1950s, Ford introduced the 8-track player in the Mustang, I think it was. Oh, wow, okay. And, and so then it became a bit more, like you had professional audio in your car for the very first time. Wow. And so, you know, you'd, you'd get your eight track cassettes and you'd stick them in your Mustang and, and drive around looking all American and cool. Um, yeah, we didn't have, <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah, we, I think we had wax cylinders in our mini metros uh, <laughs> at that particular point, you know, while it's raining with the roof up. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's the UK for you. Um, but, you know, but it, and that was why it's a really interesting piece of, uh, piece of tech. So it's all about the story of music, but so, told through technology and, uh, with interesting designs and, um, and relatively fashionable. So I'm talking about the speed of sound. And this girl in my class put her hand up and was like, well, why? Uh-oh. I was like, uh, why do we have a speed of, well, why do birds fly? You know, you know <laughs> because they do. That's what it is. And she's like, yeah, but I don't, under I don't understand the relevance of, you know, you're talking about wavelength and then the speed of sound and everything else like this. And I, and I, I, I was just a bit gazumped at that point okay. because I hadn't, I'd never ever thought about it in 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 those terms. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad she asked that question. I said to her, just give me a night. Let me come back to you tomorrow, and I'll try and explain the whole thing a bit better because in a way I see sound a little bit like a spaceship mm -hmm. you know it looks all very impressive and uh, and everything but you know once you start taking the surface away there's lots of really complex devices okay but then as you start getting into those complex devices you realize that you know it's actually just a relatively simple system mm -hmm. and if you can explain that one little system in a simplistic way 
then all of a sudden the, the other bits of the jigsaw all fall into place. Okay. And for me, it was it was just kind of explaining the speed of sound thing. So I was laying in the bath with the lights off, contemplating this question. Um, and well, yes, of course. So obviously the, the speed of sound is, well, let's say 340 meters per second, let's okay. make the math a little bit easier for me anyway, because my brain doesn't work. 340 meters per second. So sound has to travel at 340 meters in one second. Okay. Frequency is the amount of cycles in one second. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So one hertz would be 340 meters. A hundred hertz would be 3.4 meters. Do you see what, and, and then, you know, when you, when you start getting down into like a kilohertz, it'll be 30 centimeters, 34 centimeters. You know, and that, you know, because it has to do that cycle mm -hmm. in that space in that time. So once I explain this to, to the girl, or young lady, I should say, for her, it kind of fell into place. Okay. And I'd never kind of really thought about it in sort of such a simplistic way. Teaching students that haven't really had much experience with sound or no experience with sound was actually quite a rewarding thing for me because you get asked these questions that you maybe you haven't thought about for a very long time or you haven't actually thought about in, 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 in those certain ways. What this is reminding me of is I just took the smart class with Jamie Anderson. One of the things he said at the very beginning of the class is the best thing for you to do after this class is to take something that you've learned and try and go explain it to someone else who, <laughs> who's brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an author and a teacher and an entrepreneur making clothes, uh, designing clothing and, and selling clothing now and still mixing and touring. Do you feel like people should kind of have an eye on that? Like touring, they're not going to do touring forever probably. And, or, you know, maybe that might not be their whole income. Myself and my contemporaries which are maybe just a, a little bit older than me probably the first generation of touring sound engineers that have actually had to think about maybe having another career hmm. because you know you the 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 guy so the guys that started off in the 80s and and uh, or 70s and 80s you know who have now who have now retired um you know some of my mates who are you know getting into their 60s and they're still touring because that's all they've ever done okay one of the hardest things is you know things like family family are you know a really important thing in your life and um you know i've got my son and obviously he's really important but when i'm away i don't i don't get to see him it's but it's something that you don't think about when you set out on this on this path sure you just think you know way let's go brilliant <laughs> rock and roll let's have fun yeah let's have fun and then it it there comes that point where you think well actually i don't want i don't want to be 60 and you know living by myself in a rented flat somewhere mm. in north london um you know, I want to. You know, I want to actually be able to have a life. Um, and you know, what we've seen over the last, you know, ten years or so is a decline in, you know, available money to the music industry. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people are trying to make money from live music, which they never used to do before. So, um, so our wages haven't really gone up in ten, fifteen years in some cases, and there are less shows. So, you know, when you think about, you know, the future of the music industry is that there's a big question mark over it. It's like, how, how is this, how are the economics really going to work? 
And sure, is it sustainable yeah. that sound engineers have to have two jobs, yeah, for yeah. example? Yeah, 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 completely. And then also you have an element of, you know, if I'm not going to be touring, but, I, I, but I, I love this, you're losing out to gigs because there's someone younger and cheaper than you are. Experience doesn't seem to count for as much as it used to because uh, it's all budget controlled um, and you know the you know the more people there are that, that you know the older people that there are that need to that need to do it um, they need to earn money they need to earn you, you know they're an experienced skilled worker and um, you know if you're not paying people experienced skilled money then you, you know everything else has gone up in price you know uh, and I suppose you know this is this is free market, isn't it? This is, this is you know. So what do we do to make it work? It's a real job, but then also there's not enough money for it to be a real job. So it's yeah. it's weird. It's still yeah, weird. Yeah. It I is, don't know what how how else to describe it. It is still. I mean, and you know, and really, you know, to earn yourself a decent living, you have to be out out of the house for nearly the whole year. You know, to actually pay for the house that you're not living in. <laughs> so you know that in itself is weird. You, you know. Like the, you know, the whole idea of having like a middle class was that you you can uh, you earn the money and you enjoy your time off. And you know, I mean, actually, ten you know, ten years ago when my son was born, you know, I I think I worked six months in that year and I had six months off. Oh wow! You know, so you know, I only worked half the year, and you know, we weren't struggling for cash back then. If I'd only worked six months um, <laughs> these days, <laughs> there would be a bit of a problem. Sure. Yeah. Wow, so I guess the takeaway is maybe don't make assumptions that things will be the same in five years that they are now. So no, no, definitely, no definitely not. So, I mean, I guess you kind of have to stay flexible with your career and, and, and just keep in mind that... But also, you know, it's, it's, it's transferable skills. I mean, you, I mean, just really think about how, what we do on a, on, on a daily basis. I mean, you know, just even thinking about the, the, the uh, logistics. Mm-hmm. You know, even setting up the systems, uh, the the a lot of details. Uh, yeah, the electrics. You know, all those other bits and pieces that we uh, that that we do. So, I mean, really, I think you know anybody starting out wanting to get into, you know, audio, go and electrician's course, or you know, all those other bits and pieces, because the amount of times that you're going to get onto site and someone's going to go, right, well, I've got to plug me three phase in, and then everyone. That, I'm not saying everybody, but you know, pe- a lot of people. You know, aren't quali- aren't really qualified electricians. Yeah. Don't really know what three phase is. I mean, I don't touch the stuff. You know, I, I put my hands up as though that's someone else's job. You know, sure. you know, if you can, if you if you're in that situation, you can understand you, and you understand. You know, the electrics and how electric electrical systems work. You're quite flexible between mm-hmm. like lots of different industries, as well. So, you know, at some point you might think actually, you know, I, I you know, I've got myself a girlfriend or a boyfriend and. You know, I don't really want to be away as much as I am. So, you know, what else can I do? Electrics. Electrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, or some kind of logistics or, uh-huh. you know. Sure. Yeah, because actually, you know, what, I mean, when you think about what we do, you know, we take, a, we take a relatively large production, set it up in a day, break it down in a couple of hours, stick it on a truck and send it to the next venue. We do it over and over and over again. It's crazy. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, people that... You know, organise bloody award ceremonies. Doing it for, you know, they're organising it for, you know, a year. We're just good at what we do. 
Dave, where's the best place for people to follow your work? Well, currently, it's um, it's all on my Audio Architect Apparel page. That's what's on, going on, on right face- now. Yeah, on okay. Facebook. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, if people go to Facebook and just search for Audio Apparel. Yeah. Okay. Um, they will. Yeah, they will. They will. They will find. They'll find me wearing all my clobber in various different uh, technical environments at the moment, and uh, you know maybe the odd uh, um, American sky <laughs> skyscape. popping up on there yeah all right dave well thanks for talking to me i know you have to get back to uh doing a show and making people happy yeah so thanks for talking to me it's good to talk to you thank you to meat hook and butler boys for the music today's episode if you want to find more of their music you can do that over at reverbnation.com slash meatlock recording studio Sound Design Live is supported by Bob, Joel, Megan, Ellis, Hisenkui, DC SoundOp, and Dave. And you can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 an episode over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive. Down, little-